Gosh, guys, it's so good uh, to be here with you. Before we go any further, can we give this band a round of applause for leading us in worship? <laughs> guys, it was awesome. Um, well, my name is, uh, we, can, yeah, we can be seated. My, my name is Austin Helm. Dude, it is so good to see you. How are you? Uh, my name is Austin Helm, and uh, this is the final uh, evening I have the privilege and the opportunity to introduce myself as a teaching and venue pastor here at EV Free. Uh, if this is your church home and you're decently connected to the World Wide Web and some, some things going on, you've heard news uh, that I am transitioning uh, onto my next step. If you call EV Free home and you haven't quite been connected to the World Wide Web and you've been on vacation or out of cell phone uh, service, uh, Tonight, we're breaking the news to you that um, I'm transitioning on to my next step. And if this is your first time ever to EV Free, uh, this will be the first time and the last time uh, you probably see me here at EV Free. However, if this is your first time here, I um, have to let you know um, you have stumbled into an incredible, incredible church. Uh, we're a family that's simply passionate about following Jesus as disciples connecting as family and going into the world as missionaries. You know, my own journey of following Jesus, uh, connecting as family and going as a missionary uh, began early on, but more recently I had the opportunity uh, to be in Texas as a college and young adult pastor. As I was pastoring in Texas, I, I got in touch with a few key leaders here at EV Free that said, Austin, we we see something in you. Uh, we see a teaching voice in you. We see leadership in you. And we would love for you to come to EV Free. And we would love just to develop that, um, to speak into it, and to not only give you significant opportunity, but consistent significant opportunity to grow. So after a season of discernment, I, I, I told the, the staff here at EV Free that I'd love to come join the team for a season. And, and that season is now coming to an end, but I stand here deeply thankful and deeply grateful for a church that not only gives lip service to developing and investing into the next generation, but actually does it. And it comes with great risk that they invest into the younger generation. Uh, it comes with great um, commitment that they do so. And so standing here, I'm deeply thankful for the staff and the elder board at EV Free uh, for investing into folks like myself here at this church. So if we could just for a moment give it up for the current staff and elder board here at EV Free. Um, their vision and their commitment to the next generation is unparalleled. Uh, and then finally, uh, from myself, a, a giant thank you to you uh, that you have allowed me to be on this journey to grow and to develop alongside of you uh, in my teaching voice and my leadership and, and ultimately as family. And so to you, I stand here deeply thankful and deeply grateful for the past couple of years and the journey that we've been on in following Jesus, connecting his family and ultimately going as missionaries into the world. And so as I was thinking about this Sunday for quite some time, uh, you typically think in, in four-week segments, maybe six-week segments. You, you kind of have a trajectory you're going on, but knowing that this is my last talk with this faith community indefinitely, you're, you're, the question weighs on you, well, what do you say? 
Where do you start? Where do you end? Uh, and so I thought tonight we would begin with a passage of sending, uh, a passage of going. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 28. Uh, you can get there in your paper Bibles or your electronic Bibles. If you don't have either of those, uh, we'll be putting it on the screen for you. But this is Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. Uh, Jesus is with his closest 11 disciples. He is just raised from the dead, and he is giving them one last commission. And he says this beginning in verse 18. Uh, it says, Then Jesus came to the disciples, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. Uh, church, whenever we gather together, there's a few disciplines that are built into our rhythm. Prayer, worship, and one of those is opening the scriptures to read and to learn. And, and we don't do it for arbitrary reasons. We do it because we think the scriptures are alive, that they're God-breathed, that they're God-inspired. One of the writers of the New Testament will say uh, that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide soul from spirit and bone from marrow. So, because, so now that we think then that we know that the scriptures are inspired and God-breathed, we come in here with the awesome opportunity that we can leave different than the way that we came in, that we can actually leave changed by the power of the Holy Spirit than the way that we came in. So before we go any further, can, can we simply pray together? Father, we pause for a moment and we say, uh, we say thank you. Thank you that these, these folks are, are gathered together and that you've called them together to worship and to pray and to grow. And so Jesus, now as we open your word, we ask you that you would come and you'd shape us that Holy Spirit, your, your words would breathe on us and that we would be able to walk out of here differently than the way that we came in. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's summertime. It was about 3 p.m. today. I, I got out of my car and I had the rude awakening that, in fact, it is summertime. It is so hot outside. Uh, but summertime doesn't only mean heat. It means vacation. Uh, just earlier this month, I had the opportunity to go on vacation with my family. And, and if any of you have family that's spread across the country with their own spouses and their own kids, you know, finding like a, a weekend, much less a week to get everybody together is quite the accomplishment. So we actually had to plan a year in advance and say, this is when we're going and this is what we're doing. And we did it. The family got together for vacation. Uh, but I have to admit, I'm not great at vacationing. It, it, it's not a discipline that I'm actually good at. I, I think it's for three reasons. Um, I think one, uh, because I, I, what's the right way to say this? My folks growing up, we didn't vacation a lot. Our family didn't go on a lot of vacations. A part of that was because uh, finances were tight at our family and my folks were generous. And so with some of the extra income we had, they would send us on summer retreats and on ski trips and, and to camps. And so my folks were super generous, but we didn't have the opportunity as a family uh, to really vacation together. And now occasionally, once every three or four years, 
years, we'd pile in our 1985 brown Chrysler minivan with the fuzzy seats, uh, and we would drive to a nearby state for a weekend, and that was our vacation. But growing up, I wasn't used to the rhythm of how do you vacation? Uh, Secondly, uh, I love my dad. I I would hope that one of the things my dad has passed on to me is his work ethic. My dad was a hard worker, but as a result, growing up, it was always difficult for my dad to unplug from work, to turn off the cell phone, to turn off the computer. And I have a part of that, right? Like if I go more than three days without being plugged in, I start to go a little stir crazy. I start to get a little bit of cabin fever. I can't wait to get back to work and to be productive. And finally, um, we live in California. We live in the state that everybody wants to vacation too. So it's difficult, you know, getting yourself excited to wake up early, pack your bags, drive to the airport, go through TSA and sit on a cramped airplane to go somewhere you don't really want to go. You just want to stay in California, right? So, so I'm, not, I'm not great at vacationing. But when I was younger and my family would go every three to four years and we're in our 1985 brown Chrysler minivan with the fuzzy seats, uh, I was an even worse vacationer. I, I just learned to put together sentences, but I didn't put together um, statements as much as I put together questions. And I became that kid on the road trip in the minivan, that as soon as we got on the freeway, I would utter those four words that would echo in my parents' ears for the next five hours. Are we there yet? Like that was me. And I would ask my folks over and over again on the way. Uh, as I grew up, I, I began to develop my question asking. It didn't necessarily become productive, but I became the why kid. I, I would ask my parents all the time, why this, why that? I, you know, I'd come home from school. I'd ask my folks, why do I have to go to school? They'd say, well, you need to get a job. Well, why do I need to get a job? Well, because you need to buy a house. Well, why do I need to buy a house? Because we need to kick you out of our house. Like that was, that was my folks' response. I, I was the why kid. Um, I would hope that as I've gotten earlier, my ability to ask questions has gotten better. In in fact, uh, I love meeting with folks that are just a couple of seasons uh, down the road from me, maybe a couple of generations down the road from me. And I love sitting down with them, ideally at a Starbucks. But when I get the chance to sit down with them, one of the questions I love asking them is, if you could go back and talk to your 30-year-old self, what would you say to your 30-year-old self. In other words, what's the most important thing? What, what are the things that I should hold the most closely in values? And uh, I've gotten a lot of different answers, uh, an entire spectrum. Some folks have told me, Austin, you really need to stay in shape, eat well, exercise, stretch. It's going to be really good for you in the long run. And some folks have looked at me and said, eat what you can while you can uh, when giving me advice. So the advice has been across the board. And so I sit here on an evening like tonight, deeply thankful to be with this community that I've had the opportunity to journey with for the past couple of years. And I ask myself, what would I share with this community? Uh, what would I say if they were to ask me, Austin, if you could tell us anything, what would you tell us? What would I say to them? And so I began to, to process this question. Um, and there's about three things that I came across that, man, if I could leave this community with three things, these are the three things that I would leave them with. 
But to really understand it, we kind of have to understand some of the early disciples. Uh, One of my favorite disciples is Peter. Uh, Peter, when you read the gospel accounts, he is front and center all the time, but for all the wrong reasons. Uh, He has a bad mouth. Uh, He has a bad temperament. He's not good at following instructions. In fact, uh, Peter becomes kind of the the signpost for how to not do discipleship in a sense. But we're introduced to Peter early on. And early on in the Gospel of Matthew, it tells this story. It it talks about uh, Peter being a fisherman. Now, the fact that Peter was a fisherman really tells us a number of things from the get-go. It tells us that he's kind of middle to lower class that he isn't highly educated. He's not part of the elite of society. In fact, one of the reasons we know that is because they really had three phases of schooling in the first century in Israel. Uh, The first phase was all the kids went to it, and it was your responsibility to memorize Torah. Torah being the first five books of the Bible. Um, After that season was over, some of the educators would look at this pool of students and they'd say, uh, some of you were going to graduate to phase two. Uh, The rest of you, it's time for you just to go back and to learn your father's trade. And so a, a certain segment would move on to the second phase. And the second phase was not just to memorize Torah. It was to memorize the entire Old Testament. And when that phase was done, the educators would look at this pool of folks and they'd say, hey, a part of you, we're going to move on to the third phase. The rest of you, it's time to go back and to learn your father's trade. The folks that made it to the third segment, uh, there was no more memorizing to be done, but it was time to interpret. It was time to talk about the text. And so they would dialogue with the educators, with their peers, and they'd ask questions, and they'd answer questions. And at the end of this phase, a, sele- this phase, um, a few select people would have the opportunity to sit in front of the respected rabbis. Uh, for those students who hadn't gone home to learn their father's trade, that had the opportunity to follow a rabbi, they would sit with the rabbi and they'd ask questions back and forth answering one another's questions. And when the rabbi decided that, that this student had what it took, not just to know what the rabbi knew, but to be able to live the, rabbi, the way the rabbi lived, uh, the rabbi would utter these words to students, come and follow me. Uh, growing up as a student, it's, it's the words you wanted to hear almost more than anything else the opportunity to follow a rabbi. You were were part of the 1%. You were the the honors program. You were the valedictorians. You were the most educated. You were the special. You were the talented. You were the gifted. In Matthew, um, Peter isn't any of those. He's actually radically ordinary. He's working an ordinary job in an ordinary city with ordinary friends, an ordinary family, and a subordinary salary. And in the text, we find him and his, his buddies, and they're cleaning the nets from fishing. They, they were deep-sea fishermen, and so uh, when you were a deep-sea fisherman, you'd be out all night fishing. You didn't fish during the day because it was too hot. The fish could see the nets, and they'd scamper. So you had to go out at night. And so in, in this scene, it's, it's the scene is set in such a way that the sun is about to rise. It's still dark and the boats have come in and here's Peter and his friends and they're cleaning their nets and they're mending their nets. But they aren't cleaning them and mending them because they've caught so many fish. The text says they're cleaning them and they're mending them because they didn't catch anything. They caught rocks, which tore holes in the nets. They caught seaweed and reeds in the water. And so here they are, distraught, disgruntled, and stressed. 
They have nothing to bring to the marketplace. They have nothing to sell. They have nothing to trade and they have nothing to give to their families. If you've ever been out for a long day's work and you came back with nothing to show for it, the language you use is less than salt and light, right? Like it's, it's not the kind of language that you use. And Peter in Northern Galilee, him and his friends, they're, they're kind of rough around the edges. And the text says that the sun is just beginning to rise and they're sitting here grumbling and complaining about not having caught any fish and they're cleaning in there. They're mending their nets in this ordinary town with this ordinary vocation. And then they hear this teacher begin to teach by the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you're Peter and a teacher begins to teach, it's not uncommon. Uh, Israel was filled with teachers that would roam the countryside teaching about the kingdom of God teaching about the restoration of Israel, teaching about the kingdom of God being reestablished and Rome being expelled. A lot of the teachers that would come through, they would teach with a similar rhetoric, a similar style, a similar approach. But there's something about the teaching of Jesus that's wildly different. And it captures the attention of, of Peter and his friends here that are cleaning and mending these nets. In fact, it doesn't just capture their attention. It captures the attention of the entire area. You see, the morning time as the sun is rising, it's the busiest, most bustling time in a village or town in northern Israel. By the time the sun is right above your heads, it's, it's too hot to do work. It's, it's, too, um, it's too gnarly to be out conducting business. And so one of the busiest times was right in the cool of the day. And so you have this scene in which husbands and wives and children are waking up, but they're, they're being drawn to the words of Jesus. Jesus is talking about Israel, the nations, and the kingdom of God in such a way that he speaks and he teaches in a way that's new, in a way that carries authority. And so the text says that not only are Peter and his friends gathered around Jesus, but there's a big crowd surrounding him. And, and Jesus has backed up next to the lake. And so in order to project his voice and to be seen by everybody, he needs to get in a boat, but Jesus doesn't have a boat. He's not a fisherman. He's, he's a traveling teacher. And so he probably looks at somebody like Peter and says, Peter, can we use your boat? You can imagine Peter is in awe, stunned, that this teacher that has gathered such a large crowd is, is asking to be in a boat with him, to use his ordinary boat that he uses for his ordinary vocation, this ordinary town. And Peter says, yes. So Peter and Jesus, they, they hop in the boat and they just push off a little distance from shore. And they do it because the water would amplify the sound. It would give the crowd more of a perspective and ability to see Jesus. And the text says that Jesus continues to teach from the boat. And when, when Jesus has, has finished his teaching, um, he looks at Peter and says, Peter, in, instead of going back in, why don't we keep going out into the deep water? And why, don't we, why don't we drop your nets? Um, on an ordinary day, Peter would probably say, hey, you gave a really great talk and it was really awesome, but why don't you stick to the teaching and we'll stick to the fishing because you don't know what you're talking about. You don't fish during the day. You, you, you can't catch anything. And in fact, he says, we have been fishing all night. 
We're worn out. We're tired. We have no more energy and we didn't catch anything. The daylight isn't going to bring us any more luck. But in Peter's encounter with Jesus thus far, he recognizes there's something different about Jesus. Because he doesn't just tell them that they haven't caught anything. He calls him master. There's something simply about the words and the teachings of Jesus on Israel, the nations, and the kingdom of God that leads Peter to say, Master, we haven't caught anything, but because it's you, because of the way you've captured our attention and our imagination, uh, we'll push out and we'll drop our nets. It'll be quick because we're not going to catch anything, but for you, we'll do it. And in fact, you can almost uh, imagine the second boat taunting Peter and Jesus as they go out to drop their nets. Hey, good luck, guys. Nonetheless, they go out into the deep and they drop their nets. And the text says that they catch such a large amount of fish that the net begins to break. That the boat begins to go under so much so that uh, Peter calls over the other boat. And so now you have two boats and they're both pulling on the net. And the net continues to break and both the ships begin to go under. And somehow they get this giant catch of fish to shore. And it's an absolute miracle. I mean, Peter and his friends, they have just witnessed something miraculous. Not only was Jesus this compelling figure, this compelling teacher that they've seen something marvelous right in front of their own eyes. Jesus, this very extraordinary teacher, what they would now say is a miracle worker, has absolutely invaded the very ordinary life of Peter and his friends. It's an amazing thing that Jesus wants to step into our ordinary lives. He wants to step into our ordinary jobs with our ordinary friends and our ordinary families and our ordinary schools. And he wants to show up in a dynamic, compelling way, extending his grace and his abundance towards us. But Peter, he's not just all smiles. In fact, he realizes that something amazing has happened. And the text says that Peter actually just falls to his knees. He says, Jesus I don't know what just happened here, but you, something, something good's going to happen to you. Like, dude, you're on the way up. You're like a first-round draft pick, and you got to know, like, I'm not going to be good for your image. I'm not going to be good for your agenda. I'm not going to be good for your brand. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. I've got a temper. I don't speak well. I'm not good at following directions. I'm a little rough around the edges. I'm not, I'm not highly educated. If you go south to Jerusalem, there are certainly some religious leaders that would love to follow you. I mean, what we've seen is amazing. But Jesus, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm not going to be good for your reputation. So now would be a great time. If you just want to leave me here, that'd be best. But Jesus says, you're precisely the kind of person that I'm looking for. And then he utters these words that as a child, Peter would have craved to have heard, but never had the chance because he didn't graduate. He didn't move on. Jesus utters the words to Peter, come and follow me. 
Don't just come and learn what I know. Come and learn to live the way that I live. In this scene, this very ordinary scene at this ordinary town, this ordinary profession, Jesus extends a call to discipleship. He extends a call to follow him. And EV Free, this evening, I would say that Jesus is extending that same call to us. Whether you've been a part of the church for 60 years or this is your first 60 minutes in a church, the clear call to follow Jesus constantly is extended to us. Day in and day out. And every day we have the opportunity to drop our nets, to leave our boats, and to follow Jesus. It's one of the things that we've talked about over the past couple of years here in the service. Is that, man, we're, we're, we're passionate about following Jesus. Because we think the life of discipleship is the best kind of life. Learning to live the way Jesus lived is the most satisfying, gratifying life. It doesn't mean that everything is easy. It doesn't mean that life gets filled with rainbows and unicorns and roses and Pokemon. But it does mean, it does mean that the presence of Jesus is with us. With us always. And so church, I would encourage us to to maintain our passion for being disciples and for following Jesus. But for Jesus, you couldn't couldn't follow him as an individual. You you couldn't follow him just as one person. In, In fact, Jesus acquires quite the unsavory crowd to follow him. Uh, He invites Peter, who's rough around the edges, and he has a bad temper and maybe a foul mouth, and he, he calls him to follow him. And then as Peter and his friends begin to follow, Jesus looks crazier and crazier and crazier. He runs into a man named Matthew who's a tax collector. The the best image to use for a tax collector is this is the kind of guy that ate alone in the lunchroom. Nobody wants to be around the guy like Matthew. But Jesus says, no, that's, that's exactly the kind of guy that we're looking for. And then they run across a man named Silent the Zealot, which means when you call someone a zealot, they were part of a, a tribe or an entity within Israel that was violent. They carried swords and daggers, and they would take out Roman soldiers. And so not only does Peter have a bad temper, this guy named Simon the Zealot is straight up violent. I mean, he's got a past, he's got a history, and it's not just checkered. It's got some big old black spots on it. But Jesus says, this is precisely the kind of person that I want to follow me. But Jesus isn't calling these 12 folks to follow him as individuals. He's calling these 12 folks to follow him as a family, to journey together, to speak together, to eat meals together. I mean, you can imagine what that, those first few campfires are like. It'd be like calling together Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Socialists and saying, here's a meal, have fun. Like, that would be a wild conversation. You can imagine the first couple of weeks, if not months, felt the same way. But by the time we begin to reach the end of the Gospels, we find that these 12 are deeply, deeply committed to each other. In fact, when everything hits the fan and they feel like their dreams have come crashing down, the text says that the 11 disciples, they meet together in a home to be with one another and to eat with one another. Jesus doesn't just call us as individuals to discipleship. He calls us to discipleship to connect as a family, 
And then as Jesus rises from the dead and he's about to ascend, he has these words for this family. And the words are simply to make the family larger, to extend the invitation to discipleship, to extend the invitation to connect as a family to every nation of the earth. He says, now go. Go and make other disciples. Extend and broaden the family. And this is dangerous. There's a lot of weird people out there. And when the church opens its arms and invites people from all kinds of worldviews and paradigms and situations in life to follow Jesus, it gets interesting. And dinner conversations become, well, bizarre at times. But Jesus is calling people from every walk of life to a life of connected discipleship, to be sent out. And so Jesus says, go and make disciples of every nation baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you to the end of the age. Evie Free, the invitation for us to, to follow Jesus as disciples, to connect as a family in the journey of discipleship and ultimately to be a family on mission still stands. And in fact, I would say it is as urgent as ever. You know, one of the disciples following Matthew 28 here at the end, and we'll kind of begin to wrap up with this. um, One of the disciples speaks up and he asks a question that I used to ask when I was a kid on vacation. Uh, One of the disciples simply asks, um, are we there yet? The way the text says it is, Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, is this journey of being a disciple over? Is this the hard work that goes into being a family? Is it done? Is, is the mission to extend your message to every nation? Has it, has it come to completion? Jesus, are we there yet? And Jesus, in the best, most inspiring, most life-giving way, says, No. The journey continues. The call to discipleship still stands. The call to continue to connect his family still stands. The call to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus, it still stands. And I would say maybe it's more urgent now than ever. So whether you've been here for 60 years or you've been here for 60 minutes, I would hope that this evening you hear a new and renewed and fresh call to follow Jesus. That you hear the words of Jesus saying, come and follow me. Live life the way that I live. And whether you've been here for 60 years or 60 minutes, I would hope you hear the fresh call this evening to connect his family. That faith can't be done alone. It's, it's the reason that we meet in community groups and the reason we meet in homes. And whether you've been here for 60 years or 60 minutes, I would hope this evening you hear a fresh call to go as a missionary, to extend the invitation of discipleship and a family to all of Orange County and ultimately to the ends of the earth.
It's, it's an amazing call. It's, it's an amazing thing to be a part of. And, and sitting here this evening, I'm so thankful. I, I, I'm so thankful that for the past couple of years, I've had the opportunity to do all three of these things with this community. That you guys have helped create a space in which I've had the opportunity to follow Jesus as a disciple. But not as an individual. I'm thankful that for the past couple of years, this has been my family. And that we've connected in homes. That we've uh, connected in parks. And more importantly, that we've connected in Starbucks. And I'm so thankful that for the past couple of years, this has been a community on mission. It's been a community on mission all over Orange County, that people from this community have gone all over the world. And sometimes it happened, Starbucks coffee to Starbucks coffee to Starbucks coffee, constantly inviting people into a more robust way to live. This has been a community that doesn't just follow Jesus, that doesn't just feel like family. This has been a community that has been on mission to extend this invitation to every person, every coworker, and every classmate. So for me, it's been an amazing, amazing thing to be a part of. And so as, as Paul told one of his churches, he, he told one of his churches, he said, um, I'm thankful not only that I was able to share the gospel with you, I'm thankful that I was able to share my very life with you. And so Evie Free, um, this evening I want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing my time here to be more than simply sharing the text and sharing what we call the gospel with you, but thank you for allowing me to share my life with you, one Starbucks drink at a time. And thank you that you've shared your life with me and that we've prayed together, that we've read together, that we've had fun together, that we've met in homes together and been in cars together. Thank you for allowing me this space and this opportunity for the past couple of years. And my, my prayer for this community as it moves forward is they would have a renewed passion and a renewed commitment and a renewed vision to follow Jesus, to connect his family, and to go as missionaries into the world. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you. We thank you for communities like this that exist all over the world that exist all over the United States that exist all over Orange County communities that gather together to worship and to pray and to begin to work out what it looks like to be a disciple that's constantly fighting the fight to connect as family that's constantly asking the question Lord how can I leverage my life for the purpose of the gospel how can I constantly be the kind of person that's on mission? And so, Jesus, tonight, we're thankful for this gathering of your people, that you've called your people from all over Orange County to be a part of this moment. And so, Jesus, as we, as we worship, ask you that you would, uh, you would renew our passion, our clarity, and our vision for being a disciple for being family and for being missionaries in our, in our spheres of influence. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Church, let's, let's continue in worship together.